I'm honored to have Jim O'Brien on. Jim O'Brien, you can see him at jimobrien.com. He is a legendary Pittsburgh sports writer, commentator, everything. He was one of the founders of Street and Smith's Basketball Yearbook. He's written for the Sporting News, the New York Post, the Pittsburgh Press. I've read everything that Jim's written over many years. His insights are amazing, and he has all these great books on Pittsburgh athletes. So, Jim, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. Well, thank you. You know, I got my start on a daily newspaper in Florida with the Miami News back in 1969, uh, covering the Miami Dolphins. So uh, going full cycle now and <laughs> sitting in my home office here in Pittsburgh and surrounded by pictures of people that I interviewed in sports and so forth. So I've uh, enjoyed a nice career and, and I still love sports and saw one of the greatest comebacks in sports history this past week with uh, Tiger Woods playing the way he did in the Masters. Unreal. Well, I know I, you wrote an article on it, and it was beautiful to read. Uh, you've covered, certainly from Pittsburgh, Arnold Palmer over this year, so your love affair in terms of the Masters and golf is there. Uh, what you have to say, it was just amazing to, to see that Tiger, from the injuries that he had, uh, the, the fact that his leg was almost amputated, to think that he could come back and, and make the cut of the Masters, pretty tremendous. Well, I've been complaining for the last couple of weeks about the fact that I haven't been able to play pickleball because my knee's killing me, and uh, I feel like a real wimp now <laughs> after watching uh, Tiger Woods in action. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an inspirational situation for a lot of people. One of my buddies who's been worried about whether he could play golf again or not because he just had so shoulder so surgery, he said to me after the first day of the Masters, he said, maybe this will get me back out playing golf again. Maybe it's possible. So I think Tiger has not only proven that uh, he could play and play well, but uh, I think he's lifted a lot of people's spirits who are dealing with one difficulty or another, and that's what sports is supposed to do, inspire us. Well, another inspiration thing was the Final Four, and I know that you've been involved with uh, you know, college basketball forever, and, and you certainly follow Coach K's career. And what an amazing Final Four, and what a run there. Almost Duke was almost a fairy tale type ending in terms of winning the national championship. Well, it's the same way. I think that uh, it was asking too much, perhaps, for us to think that uh, Coach K and the Duke basketball team could win the national championship. But they certainly gave it a great run, and uh, Coach K handed off the national spotlight, in a sense, to Tiger Woods, and Tiger didn't uh, fumble the golf ball either. I mean, he he was under a lot of pressure from his fans to do something. And to me, just showing up, just showing up, it wasn't any ceremonial tee-off. He, uh, he said in, that uh, before the uh, match that he wouldn't be back if he didn't think he could win. And uh, that shows you the kind of uh, outlook he has on, on what he demands of himself performance-wise. But I've been fortunate, uh, Ira. You know, I, I went to high school, by the way, with a guy named Ira Kaufman at uh, Taylor Allardyce High School in Pittsburgh. But when I was at the Miami News, you know, I covered High Lie, I covered alligator wrestling in the Everglades, I covered uh, dog racing, I covered uh, Pele and soccer. And in Miami in those days, it was a it was a uh, tourist 
attraction. And a lot of great athletes, when they had some time off, a lot of great athletes would come through Miami. Uh, and we used to get tips. We Somebody from the airport would call us and say, you know, we just saw Gordie Howe from the Red Wings come through and stuff like that. And we'd rush off to the airport to, to do an interview because at that particular time, Miami didn't have uh, a lot of pro sports. Uh, so uh, they were eager to interview anybody that came to town. Well, you know, we had some people talk about the Miami Dolphins before. And, you know, for, for so long, the Dolphins sort of owned, I mean, they were the only game in town in terms of pro sports, but they, and I think that mystique in the they has captured even to this day in terms of their dominance of the sports market. So maybe talk a little about what the Dolphins meant in terms of South Florida over the years that you covered, were down there covering sports. Well, the Dolphins played in the final year of the American Football League. And then, of course, they went into the merged National Football League. And uh, they had some really good players. Even this one year that I covered them, they had a uh, three wins and eight losses and one tie record. And yet at that time, they had Bob Greasy as the quarterback, they had Larry Zonka and Jim Kick and Mercury Morris, all three of them as uh, running backs. And they had some good receivers. They had Nick Bonacani was the captain of the defensive team. And uh, they had Bill Stanford, who had just come out of Georgia, and Bob Hines, who also was a, a, a rookie. And they, they had a good, good nucleus for a football team. And uh, that was the last year for George Wilson as the coach. <laughs> and uh, the next year, Don Shula comes in. And Shula and uh, Wilson had been colleagues earlier in their coaching careers. And I remember I was getting ready to go to New York. So at the first press conference for Don Shula, when he recognized that uh, who I was at the time, he said to me, you're the guy that got George Wilson fired. <laughs> and I said, uh, and you're the guy who took his job while he still had it. Ooh. And it was like touche. And I, of course, I knew I was going to New York, so I wouldn't have to deal with that stare for the next few years. But uh, he proved to be the, the what they were missing because they went from three eight and one to ten and four the, the next year under Shula, and then uh, two years later they had a perfect season. So uh, Shula was the right guy. George Wilson might have been a, a player's coach. But George Wilson was a uh, owner's coach because he he brought them into having a, a great team. And then talk about another team in terms of more close in the Pittsburgh area, the Steelers. What's the legacy of Ben Roethlisberger? You've seen his whole career. You've been in Pittsburgh during the entire time. What what are, when we go back at Ben? What how do you think he's going to remember in terms of in Pittsburgh sports history? Well, I think he was the franchise quarterback for he was on his. They're 18 years, and, uh, you know, they get knocked a lot because they didn't draft uh, Danny Marino when they had a, an opportunity to do so. And we were reminded of that uh, just this past week because when they didn't draft Marino, they ended up drafting uh, Gabe Rivera, a nose tackle from uh, Texas Tech. And the thing is is that uh, Rivera – 
in his rookie season was killed in an automobile wreck. And we were just reminded of that this past week whenever uh, <clears throat> Dwayne Haskins, who is going to be competing this year with about three other quarterbacks for the starting position on the Steelers, was killed in a uh, by being hit by a dump truck on a on a highway early in the morning, and uh, I just learned a little while ago that they're going to have a uh, ceremony to honor Dwayne Haskins this Saturday uh, in Columbus. He had played for Ohio State prior to uh, entering the NFL draft. So he had shown some real promise uh, this year in the off-season training and so forth. And uh, you you always hate to hear of, a, of an athlete dying young. Right. I mean, I forgot the comparison to Senor Sacagawea. Rivera. I mean, that was, again, that was a, we never, a Steeler. He never even played for the Steelers. But whereas uh, Haskins had played a little last year and then was looking forward to this year, and it's just a tragedy that that happened. And, and, and then to, to segue into to how Mike Tomlin handled it, in terms of Mike Tomlin's growth in terms of a coach, I mean, he's clearly now with Colbert leaving the, the uh, um, general manager to the team and, and retiring, that Tomlin is going to be the the face of the franchise really is if he's not been, but also making the decisions in many respects. And, and where do you think Tomlin goes and how he takes over the Steelers? And he's, I guess how long he's going to coach now? Well, I, he's still a young man. So I think Tomlin can coach for the Steelers. Don't fire their coaches. <laughs> and the thing about, about, uh, we mentioned Don Shula. I don't even know if you know this story, but this, he was just. This was just mentioned again this past week about why you know why didn't the Steelers draft Danny Marino when they had had a chance? I think the best thing that ever happened to Danny Marino was not being drafted by the Steelers. I really believe that, and of course, uh, Ben Roethlisberger would agree with me. But the thing is, is that Coach Fazio, who was the football coach at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Whenever uh, Marino was there and Jackie Sherrill was also his coach, I came to be the assistant athletic director at the University of Pittsburgh the year after Marino left to go to the Dolphins. And Fazio, who was still there, told me that Don Shula was the only coach in the National Football League who called him directly, who called Coach Fazio and said, What's the story about Danny Marino and fooling around with drugs when he was at Pitt? He said he was the only coach. Can you imagine that? I mean, they, they pride themselves on being so thorough in their scouting and, and so forth. And people in Pittsburgh knew that Danny Marino, you know, there were rumors making the rounds that he had fooled around with drugs. But the thing is, is that when he fooled around with drugs, and it was marijuana, which is now being legalized in most places in the United States. It's kind of like how all of a sudden it's not it's not a sin to bet on sports. Tell that to Pete Rose. But the thing is, is that uh, Marino goes to Florida, and Bino Cook told me this story. Bino Cook said that he asked Don Shula, when did you know that Marino was your best quarterback. And he said the first day he came out and threw the football next to David Woodley, he said they were standing next to each other throwing the ball, and that's when I knew that Marino was the better quarterback. And Danny Marino, you know, some people 
live on real lives. He came to a team that uh, did not have a, a great running backs. They had great running backs when I was there, but not whenever Danny Marino was there. But they had good young good receivers, and Danny took advantage of it. So Danny Marino goes to Florida to play pro football, and his dad told me one time that everybody used to say to him, boy, it's a shame that uh, your son didn't uh, sign with the Steelers. And he said, yeah, I missed all those vacations to the north side of Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, Jim, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I appreciate it. Now, you have uh, under jimobryan.com, we can get your books. Uh, and you just finished a, a book on the Steelers during the COVID years, which I read, which is amazing. Uh, Steelers are all Pittsburgh sports during the, during the COVID, COVID years. And also books on Frank O'Hara, uh, Brocky Blair, everybody. It's, it's an amazing set of books that you've, you've written. Thank you, so, Jim. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And maybe we'll have you on later. We could get delve into the Pirates because I, would, I know we have to really figure out what we can do to turn around my baseball team there. But thanks again for coming on Iron Sports. Well, thank you. And let's do it again.